Hey, I'm Ryan. I've managed products at innovative companies like Weebly and Verb, and now I run my own. Each episode, I talk with product managers at some of the most successful companies in the world to learn how they do customer research, gather insights, and make the product decisions for both their customers and company. You'll get real world advice on how to ship products people want and love. Now let's get into people-driven products. Welcome, Nassim. Thanks so much for joining us today. Could you start off by telling us about your professional journey and what you do at Indeed? Sure. Hi, Ryan. Thanks for having me. So I'm Nassim Leani, and I'm leading at Indeed the Profiles and Applications group. We help job seekers connect with employers by building an identity and applying for jobs and helping them getting jobs. I landed up in PM. I would say later on in my career, I started as a software engineer and leading engineering teams. And after building two companies, relocated to the Silicon Valley and joined GoDaddy and now Indeed. So I'm now here for a bit more than four years and enjoying being in the heart of tech and learning from a lot of people. Awesome. Yeah, really glad to have you here today. And when I was Doing my research on your background, I saw that you have that founder experience, but you also recently have really been a product leader. To start off, I'd love to understand some of the similarities that you've seen between being that co-founder and CPO and that product leadership, maybe even more than a few years ago, that product manager role and what's been similar, but then maybe dissimilar. There's a, I would say a lot. I think dissimilar and similar are good words to qualify that. There's a lot in common and a lot of this is different. I ended up realizing that I was doing product actually very late in the game. So I think when I started the company, we are like one or two years in, we are doing to a, doing a demo to a venture capitalist investor. And he's asking like, and who's doing the product? And I'm like, nobody. And he's like, but what do you mean? Like, I'm like, no, my partner is doing the technology. We have a UX designer, we have engineers. It's like, but who's taking the decisions to do this and that? I'm like, oh, that's me. That That's because I'm leading the company. It's like, no, no, you're also the product guy. I'm like, oh, okay. So that was like my moment of realization that uh, I'm actually building products. I, I was always in a, a place where, when I was building products from the engineering part, and when I was an engineer, I was asking a lot of questions. And, and I couldn't get good answers. And I guess at some point I was in a place where I could provide these answers. It's like a, a very good realization that at the end of the day, if you have some questions and you think that you can do things better, then you can also be in a place where you provide the answer and you create a different alternative, which is you know a lot about what a founder mentality is. Like you see a problem. And you say, oh, I think there's a better way. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to head and, and build that. I'm going to change things. So that's what is similar. I think another point of similarity is that you really care about your audience and about delivering value. And that's like, that's always there. What is, you know, different, you don't need to worry about paychecks and uh, raising funds uh, all day long. So you have a bit more energy to invest into building a better product. But besides that, you still you know, need to influence your team to rally people to work with partners. So a lot of that is very, very similar. In fact, I thought 
that you know there's a very different set of skills required to build products in large organizations and it turns out that these are pretty much the same skills that you need that you use when you build a company and i saw you you know in your ama online about breaking into product management and you said it's often best to create something and it sounds like you end up in that product management role and ended up, you know, building a company and creating a company. And that was the start of your product management career. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was no school. You couldn't learn that. Uh, I was very lucky to have talented product people, you know, willing to meet with me an hour here and there and uh, learning from them. One name that comes to mind is uh, Gil Hirsch. He was a product manager at Facebook and I probably in three hours learned more than a year at a school from him. And yeah, so so you you need to just figure things out and be in a place where you're confident that you can lead the team to victory. That's your role. You're like, hey, we're gonna go there, it's gonna be great for all the users, it's gonna be great for everyone. And here's the path. I love that. Leading the charge. And so at Indeed, what are the product areas you're focused on right now? At Indeed, we help people get jobs. That's what we do. And you can think of Indeed as a large company and you have an employer part that is helping employers posting jobs, promoting jobs, which is our business model. And there's a the job seeker org to which I belong. There we're building the products that are consumer facing and that help people get jobs. My group is about enabling the connections between job seekers and employers. Whether you need to enable that connection, you need an identity. So you need to a profile to build your resume. So that's the, the profile portion. You need the, uh, the ability to submit that uh, through a job application. So we have a team that is handling job application and there's another team that is building algorithms that try to understand how well job seekers are matching for certain jobs. And that's a very good set of tools that allow us to deliver a lot of value and helping people get jobs. We have every month 250 million people reaching out to the website worldwide and that requires you know a robust platform that allows us to serve them and also uh, handling a lot of different use cases that you can think of when people want to build a resume or they want to apply for a job so that that's what my team is responsible for. i love the impact that you're making with helping people really find those roles that we're excited about and finding their passion and i imagine that there were some substantial changes to the process and indeed jobs to be done pre-COVID and now that we're living in mostly a virtual world, what are some of the more notable examples that you've seen and how your platform has had to adapt? Yeah, these were very interesting times to to watch. I think first and foremost, we were given the great guidance to, you know, make sure that everybody needs to be safe with our teams. And that was like extremely helpful. Company was like one of the first wave of making sure that the employees can stay home and work from home. But at the same time, we are realizing how crucial it is to have a job and how very valuable and meaningful the work that we are doing is really and how important it is in these times. So I think there was like a very important realization from everybody at the company of like, oh, wow, what we're doing is important in general. It's like 10 times more important now. And the great thing is that these are also times that you realize that a lot of investments that were done in the past were able to provide a good yield of value in these times. Like it's very hard to radically change such a large platform in in a short amount of time. But we also realized that a lot of the products that we've built in the past were 
extremely valuable right now. But we also we also adapted some of it. One idea that comes, I mean, one example that comes to mind is the ready to work tag. So we quickly surfaced the ability for job seekers to mention that, like, hey, I'm available immediately for a job, and I'm like, you know, I can start right now. Okay, and they can flip that switch, and we because indeed is a place where employers and job seekers, you know, hang out, then we're able to not only have the job seekers providing that information, making sure that employers can make use of that. And that has enabled really good value for job seekers. So it sounds like with the profiles then, you know, maybe an individual can say, have a profile with Indeed, but when they're actively looking, they can publicly share that as opposed to maybe passively, they might still have that profile, but it might not have that badge on there that they are open to work. Yeah, and and job seekers are finding opportunities both actively and passively on the platform. Awesome. And have you seen, you know, in terms of the jobs to be done, have you seen your role extend past that application process now that we're no longer maybe walking into that office and having that in-person interview? Has Indeed also been thinking around solving some of those use cases in that virtual world? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the recent development that we have announced is the building of the Indeed interview platform that allows employers to interview job seekers right on Indeed. So you can think of the next step of the application to be an interview. And in the spirit of reducing the friction, these interviews happen anyway, but that you need to want to reduce the friction from the job seeker and have them understand that they can take that next step on the Indeed platform. So you capture the availability of job seekers and then you can expose that to employers and figure out, you know, the people that are a good match for the job can then get a chance to get interviewed by the job seekers. And all that takes place on Indeed. We're at the very beginning of that journey, but already seeing very encouraging signs of uh, what's happening there. And um, with the scale of Indeed, there's a very bright future you know, for this initiative. So we recently hired a recruiting coordinator because that process does take a lot of time to set up and coordinate and schedule the interview. And so... It's great to see that you're taking a thinking around how you can make that easier for other companies to not maybe have a, a really intensive process to be able to do that. And thinking back to the core platform where you've been focused on, how do you think around what features to bring to market and really introduce to this amazingly large audience of job seekers? When we talk about bringing features to market, I, I find it very helpful to go back to the basics, okay, of like what is product building about? And product building is about enabling a better path that reduces the friction between people and a valuable outcome. Like if I have to explain product management in 10 seconds, you know, that would be my, my definition. I mean, you have people that want to achieve a certain outcome defined value, so they want to get value. And that outcome can be getting an answer to a question, watching a movie, finding a home, getting a job, et cetera. And People can generally achieve that outcome without your product, okay? And like if you take music listening, for instance, then prior to music streaming, you could download the songs onto a device. And prior to that, you could just walk to the store, fetch your wallet and buy, and buy a CD. Teams that build product are essentially tasked to provide a better alternative so people can achieve that outcome. And that is done by reducing friction. That's the the main angle that we need to look at. You can reduce friction by enabling a brand new path to people to achieve that outcome. You can literally reduce the friction. Literally reducing the friction will be Netflix sending DVDs over the mail instead of you walking to the store. Enabling a new path will be also 
Netflix allowing you to stream from your home movies. So when we think about building products, what products to build, you know, what features we want to ship, what we need to always have in mind is that you want to deliver the maximum amount of value to the largest group of people, and you want to do that as fast as possible. Okay? It's a maximization equation. And uh, you have like three variables in it. There's the amount of value that you're delivering. There's how many people are going to be able to benefit from that value. And then like how soon you can bring that to market. And I think that every PM needs to be able to assign values about like how much value it delivers, what's the size of the audience, how long it's going to take to bring it to market on every possibility. Okay, it doesn't need to be precise. You can have like t-shirt size, but you can also really run the numbers and know what's the size of the eligible people that if that feature will exist next month, you know, they will be able to engage with that value. And it's more of a mental model, but like that's how I approach product building. And now it does a few things. It allows you to clearly define what the value that you deliver, but also to rank different opportunities or also to ideate about new opportunities. I mean, you can think of like, if we run a search engine for jobs, I can improve the quality of the search results, okay, in a decent time. We can do that by, you know, everybody that is searching will be getting that. Good. So 100% of the audience is eligible to get that. It's going to deliver good value and we can build that in decent time. If we compare that with delivering good experience for job applications that have seven files, then the number of people that you know are applying for jobs with certain files are relatively small. And like that, that should be in a lower priority. So one of the best things you can do is like throw a lot of different IDs, stack rank them based on these variables, how much value it delivers, what's the size of the audience, how long it's gonna take you to bring that to market. And one of the cool things about that is that it's a relatively objective way to evaluate IDs. And that solves a lot of alignment challenges, especially when you have a large teams. And when you have a large team, then no, there, there's you can build, I think in like half a day, you bring your product team, you can build a backlog for the next seven years, right? Like, okay, now what do you do? So uh, having that ability to prioritize and scope is very crucial. So you need to systematically identify the ideas that we deliver as much value as possible to the largest audience as possible and as fast as possible. And so getting into really understanding the users and what they're looking for, what's your process that indeed to understand those job seekers and then really incorporate their insights into that product development process? So at Indeed, again, we help people get jobs, simple. So we really care about the job seeker. First and foremost, we want to make sure that you know everything works really well for the job seeker. When we think about incorporating the user feedback uh, in our decisions, I can think of like different mechanisms uh, you have. First and foremost, incorporating user feedback, it has to be there. It has to be in your decision process and it has to be continuous. It's not like an exercise you do every once in a while. How do you capture feedback from users? You know, especially when you have 250 million of them every month that are reaching your platform. I mean, you can talk to people who use the product. You can ask them about feedback, you know, within your product. And you can measure the behavior and the, you know, everything that data analytics can, can enable. I think these are three 
mechanisms that, I mean, I perceive them as getting feedback from our customers, from the job seekers. Um, every one of them has their strengths and their limitations, okay? And I think every, all of these are a piece of the puzzle that you need in order to have a better understanding of what your customers are thinking. The people who use the product, when you talk to them, there's always the bias that, you know, they're in front of you, they're not going to share anything. They might be reluctant to share certain information that they would probably be more comfortable providing that in a, in a feedback form on the platform or not even saying anything, but just dropping in a final is a statement, okay? So talking to users, collecting feedback through the product. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of blank text box of not limiting the people who are using the product to match a certain you know, set of options that are predefined. You're lucky enough that they want to give you the feedback, like let's not limit them, let's let get raw feedback. And then we need to think on how to process it and how to understand it and to extract these insights. Yeah, we are so aligned. And that's exactly why I started UserLeap. I love hearing from customers and users in their own words and just giving them that free space to share what's working or not working with them. But what I always found is that you don't want just a feedback box saying, hey, what do you think about our entire space? You do have to get really specific. You have to ask specific questions. I think NPS is an example of you know a question that's fairly specific, but you can even get far more specific about than NPS itself. You can ask, hey, how is that process applying for a job? You know, Let's say on Indeed, or what was that experience like with usually launching your first microsurvey? And really drilling in, but then giving them that space to say, here's what I thought about launching that first microsurvey, or here's what I thought about applying you know, for that first job with Indeed. And I think that's where it gets really interesting because as a product manager, they're telling you, hey, here's something that didn't work for me. And usually it's a blind spot. Like I've seen a lot of blind spots for our customers at UserLeap where they think they know what their users want. They think they know what the users think about a certain experience, but they're usually only know about 30% of what users think. And by really giving them that space, they see so much more than maybe they had expected. And I imagine indeed there's a little bit of that as well, just with the breadth of the users. You're, I assume you're always learning new things when you talk to folks. Always. I mean, it was, a, it was also a good reminder of how difficult job searching can be. But yeah, definitely always learning new things, not only in just like what's missing or I would love to have that feature, but also in what, what it means for them. I think the understanding of what is the perceived value from the, from the job seeker standpoint is like always refreshing. Like you can think of like, well, you know, people really want a job that is this and that. And a lot of times when you just ask them what's a good job, you, you can be very surprised by, by the answers they give you. And like the, the things that can be taken for granted for many people, like getting a good reminder of that is also, you know, very important. And I imagine with the amount of job seekers that indeed you have to rely on behavioral data as well to drone those analytics. Do you see yourself often starting with behavioral and seeing maybe where the trends are or where the, the challenges are in the data and then going to qualitative and, and getting more specific? Or do you see maybe a broader qualitative metric like MPS, maybe highlight some challenges and then you shift over to behavioral? I'm curious how you use those two data sets together. It's a good question. Uh, again, it's a, every one of them is a piece in your puzzle. So um, the um, behavioral is very immediate, okay? 
because like, you know, people complete or don't complete an action is like very fast to understand. And, and you have a lot of confidence because it's a, these are large numbers, but it, it doesn't tell you all the story. DMV has an amazing conversion rate. Okay. And yet, you know, it doesn't mean that I enjoy using the product. I think looking at the behavioral data with the qualitative information you can get from feedback is always uh, important. I mean, uh, there's an example there of, I mean, one of the teams that indeed is building, is building a product that helps job seekers build a resume. So you can fill different fields and then you can use your resume to apply for jobs. And job seeker can also use their PDF if they have like a resume file handy and that file then would be parsed and then they will review that and create the online resume. You look at the data, everything's good. Like, great, so far so good. When you read the feedback, a different story is emerging. Many of them are not happy. They don't want to have their file parts. They don't want to have the resume. They worked so hard on formatting and choosing the colors and the fonts being decomposed and reassembled in a different format that they don't even have the ability to control. But again, the data is like they convert and they go through the flow. When you think about that, yeah, I mean, people want the job, they will go through whatever it takes to, to get a job. So looking at data on me will not be able to unlock all the insights. What we've done there is we essentially built a feature that just captures the file when you upload it, okay? So like, that's it. Now you can upload for jobs with it if that's what you want. We also make sure that, you know, the different components that indeed are able to make sense of that so they are not at a major disadvantage in their odds of finding a job. But that's something that when you were looking into the text, it was very apparent that it would make people happy. And, and by the way, uh, once it was released, you see a very clear reduction in this complaint. Like it's night and day. So yeah, that, that's, I would say, one example on how we can get the feedback and ideate and build features that you know the data will not really help you discover them. Yeah, awesome. And at the beginning of the interview here, you mentioned around really hitting, allowing the user to find their outcome. And, you know, for Indeed, it's getting that job that someone just really, really excited about. But as product managers, as you've described, it's really about reducing that friction along the way. Job seeking is such a challenging process. Like you mentioned, there's so many different things you can do. How do you really prioritize reducing friction and uncovering that friction along the user journey so that you can allow those job seekers to find that job that they're really excited about. It has to, at the end of the day, translate in, you know, the ability to witness people finding jobs because like we want to reduce the friction for that outcome. So if we have an hypothesis about reducing the friction, then like we have to see that these ideas are helping people get jobs. Uh, the previous example is actually, is another good one here. When you upload your file, there's friction reduced because you can upload that on the desktop and use that on your mobile device. Okay, like that, that, that's like instead of, for instance, the, the need to re-upload it. And, and we've been monitoring with data the number of times the same files was re-uploaded. And we wanted to make sure that, you know, we crunched that to zero. So like you can reach the same outcome, but we reduced the friction that was required to like, oh, no, but I want to attach my file and now I need to re-upload it. Like, no, you don't need, like you give it to us once. We got you, buddy. Like from now on, just keep doing your thing and we're going we're gonna to make it work for you. That's one example. I think there are really countless 
examples on where we are able to identify these pockets of friction, reducing it and see that it helps more people get jobs. And so in that particular example around re-uploading the file, was that something through qualitative or quantitative? How did you hear about it? Or is that just something intuitively you knew that you know, perhaps this is just adding friction to our, our flow? That was like through reading the customer feedback and like uh, people complaining about it. Because again, they're going to upload it. They want the job. Okay. It's very important to remember the context. Like people want to get a job, they're going to do whatever it takes. Okay. So the fact that the action happens is not a good enough testament of how good the product is. You got to identify these opportunities and, and solve them. But yeah, in that, in that case, that was through feedback. It reminds me of a DMV example where they're saying, hey, everyone who shows up gets their paperwork completed and stamped, but it doesn't mean it's a great experience. You really need to understand along the way, you have to ask them, what's your experience like at the DMV? You see that maybe it's not an experience, you know, it's converting well, but doesn't mean it's a positive experience for everyone. Yeah, that's super interesting. And how about other types of qualitative insights? Do you see yourself relying on interviews at all or other methods? I mean, we do a lot of UX research. Pretty much everything that we put in front of job seekers uh, is going to be having a UX research session. We're going to build a prototype and have, you know, sessions where like, hey, you know, try to use it generally without trying to guide them to use the specific feature that you want to test and see if job seekers are able to find their way on it. So yeah, the, I would say there's that. Talking to users is something we do I would say as much as, as we can, it's like uh, very difficult to, you know, ask people to get some time and uh, answer questions, et cetera. But uh, another input that we all use is also getting the benefit that everybody was a job seeker at some point and, and is going to be the job seeker probably. And like that, you know, we can all relate to that problem. We can all think about how you feel, how if my wife would be looking for a job, what kind of experience I would like to create for her, for my family, for the people I care about. So like, I really want to use that sense and making sure like, oh, at the end of the day, humans are using that. And that's the beauty of a consumer product is that you have a pretty good idea about what is a good experience. So form your opinion and make it happen. And lastly here, the to wrap up, what's your top piece of advice for other product managers who want to create products people love? I think I might have said it, but uh, the I would say the ability to form an opinion about the products that you are using is very crucial in your ability to build the product that people will love using. It's true that you know there's a lot of frameworks you can apply, you can look at data, but a lot of time what makes me very proud when I take a certain product that the team has built, that I'm taking a look at it and I'm using it myself and I want to see that everything makes sense. You need to have that ability to know what's a good product. And if you have that, then you also, you know, will have the ability to identify the gaps between the current state and what will make a good product. And then your job is to close that gap. So I would say out of everything, knowing what makes a good product and also having a good sense of what defines victory, what's a very good state that you want to see the product be in and how to lead the team to get there. If you have these, you're going to be able to take pretty much every product, understand what victory means, understand what are the gaps between the current state and, and what's the, the better state that you want to be in and then lead the team to get there. 
you certainly make it easier said than done. I'll say that, (laughs) (laughs) but I absolutely agree with you. That's the process. And you mentioned also what a great product looks like. And, you know, we all know and love indeed, but I'm curious if there's any other examples in your day-to-day life that you feel like is just an example of a really great product that's been well done. I have so many. (laughs) (laughs) It's actually amazing to pay attention on how, how many successful companies exist when they optimize their products for the good of the customer, okay? And uh, things that come to mind are uh, Amazon, Apple, Netflix. Despite the privacy controversy, Google and Facebook, like newcomers, I would say lemonade in the insurance, like it's a delight to buy an insurance policy. I won't have like probably a single one, but I, I really enjoy seeing how companies bend everything around the product, like how, you know, you say like, I have this amazing stack of data, I have software, I have UX, I have that platform, how I'm going to make everything, you know, work for the person that used the product and not the opposite. Maybe one example of that is Face ID on Apple devices, where like you make the password friction disappear. Like all you have to do is to exist, like just, you know, swipe up, you are an amazing engineering effort to minimize a face 3D scanner that is, you know, scanning your face, making sure that, you know, it's you. And like from the person perspective, you just swipe up, that's it, and you're done. I think that that's a, a very nice example of how, how to utilize all these assets to reduce the friction and create a delightful experience. Yes, I was about to add, that's the great example of reducing friction. Instead of typing in that passcode, you're right, you're just there. You just exist and you've securely unlocked your phone. Nassim, so glad to have you on today and dig into your background as a product manager and how you've built people-powered products. Is there anywhere online we can follow your journey? Do you recommend checking out your Twitter or do you blog at all? I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Twitter and I'm very um, responsive to people reaching out through these channels and I try to become available and give advice. And so I'm getting like a bunch of emails of like, hey, you know, what do you think about that kind of product? And I have this dilemma and I'm trying to to answer them. So I'm happy to do that. Awesome. Well, reach out if you have any more questions and thank you so much for joining the show today. Thank you, Ryan. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to request a guest or ask a question, email me at ryan at userleap.com. And if you need a tool that helps you get customer insights easier, faster, and more accurately, check out UserLeap. After my time managing products at other companies, I wanted a simpler way to do customer research, obtain insights, and use those insights to make the right product decisions. That's why I founded UserLeap. Our microsurveys help you get in-depth user insights in real time, understand the why behind your data, and ultimately ship the right thing for your customers. Usually is used by product managers at companies like Square, Adobe, and Dropbox, and it's super simple to get started. Try it free or learn more at userleap.com.